Welcome to episode 39 of the Empowering Ability Podcast. Welcome to the Empowering Ability Podcast, where we get you and your loved ones impacted by disability the information needed to live a full and meaningful life. Now here's your host, Eric Gall. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thanks for joining us on the Empowering Ability Podcast today. I'm Eric Gall. Uh, excited to bring you uh, our guest today, John Meyer. And today we are switching back into our mini series on siblings. Siblings uh, that have a brother or sister with a developmental or intellectual uh, disability. And Don is one of the leading experts in the world on siblings. Uh, Dawn has really been working with, learning about, learning from siblings for the last 35 years. Uh, Dawn is the guy behind Sib Shops. If you've heard of Sib Shops, there's over 350 of them in the world focused on uh, educating and connecting young siblings. Uh, so really interesting conversation today. I think there's a ton of value in this podcast with Dawn uh, for siblings, for parents, for supporters, for organizations. Um, And it's just super relevant content from a guy that has a lot of experience uh, with siblings and uh, talks about really the most important relationships in our lives, our siblings. And this rings especially true for people with disabilities and their siblings. So uh, excited to bring you the chat today with Don. Here we go. Hey, Don. Welcome to the Empowering Ability Podcast. Thanks, Eric. It's uh, it's a pleasure to have you on. And Don, rather than me uh, tell our audience a little bit about you, maybe you could just start us off with who you are and talk about the really interesting, I find it interesting, work that you're, you've, you've done with the Sibling Support Project. Yeah. Uh, again, my name's Don Meyer. I'm the director of the Sibling Support Project. It's a part of the Kindering Center, which is Washington State's largest early intervention center. And uh, I have what, at least for me, is the greatest job in the world, being the director of the Sibling Support Project. We're a national, and I guess to a certain extent, international program dedicated to the lifelong and ever-changing concerns of literally millions of brothers and sisters of people with special needs, millions in the United States alone, and in Canada, probably close to, to, to that, that number as well. Um, uh, when I tell people about what I do for a living, I tend to walk uh, talk about wearing, uh, wearing one of two hats. Uh, one of the hats I wear is me in my John the Baptist mode, where I go around thumping on podiums and microphones and tables and try to convince people why brothers and sisters are too important to ignore. And I always like to leave them with two, three, maybe four points. Uh, The first point being anything we can say about being the parent of a child with special needs. And when I use the word special needs, I mean special health needs, special developmental needs, special mental health needs. But anything you can say about being the parent of a child with special needs, you can pretty much put ditto marks underneath for brothers and sisters. If you take a look at the clinical and research literature that's out there about SIBs, you see that time and time again, SIBs experiences parallel parents' experiences. SIBs are going to have most 
many, if not most of the same issues that parents will have, as well as some that are uniquely theirs. However, when you start taking a look at the services and consideration that SIBs get vis-a-vis the services and considerations that parents get, it's easy to see who's getting the short end of the stick in just about any arena that you can think of. Here's one itty-bitty example. In the United States, there are, I don't know, two, 300 people who have full-time jobs worrying about parents of kids with disabilities, as well there should be. In fact, there should be more. But to my knowledge, and I think I'm right about this, is there's one person in the United States who has a full-time job worrying about the literally millions of brothers and sisters of folks with disabilities and, and and you're talking to them and I don't want to be the only person and I would guess I don't know of anybody in Canada who has a full-time job worrying about brothers and sisters despite the fact that there are hundreds and thousands if not millions of sibs in Canada uh, uh, um, so anyway that's the first thing I'd like to leave people with is that sibs experiences parallel parents experiences secondly these brothers and sisters are likely to have the longest lasting relationship with that family member with special needs. They'll certainly be in the lives of that family member longer than any service provider will, but they'll probably be in the lives of that family member longer than even the parents will. You know, So this is a relationship easily in excess of 65, 70, 75 years. That's a long time. So consequently, sibling issues are lifespan issues. Preschoolers who are sibs will have some unique concerns Uh, and senior citizens will have some unique concerns. And those concerns are going to change and evolve throughout the individual's, indeed the family's lifespan. Uh, So when the day comes when mom and dad are no longer available to look after the affairs of the family member with special needs, and we can't even remember who, you know, our brother had as a special ed teacher when he was in grade school, when that day comes, it will likely be you know, brother, the brothers and sisters who will assure that that family member leads a dignified life living and working in the community. The third point I'd like to leave with people is, um, is that uh, probably over the long haul, probably no one logs on more hours, more moments, more minutes with the family member who has the disability than that family member's brothers and sisters. And then finally, As wonderful as inclusive classrooms are, don't get me wrong, they're wonderful, but no classmate in an inclusive classroom uh, is going to have a greater impact on that, the social development of that child with special needs than that child's own brothers and sisters. Now, those four points right there, I think, make a fairly compelling argument why we should be thinking about brothers and sisters at every turn. Yet I find myself frequently in this, uh, I guess, ludicrous position of having to remind my friends, my colleagues, uh, people who worship at the altar, family-centered care and family-centered services, I'm having to remind them that brothers and sisters are a part of the family. And, and I take great delight in holding their feet to the fire and say, hey, look, you know, you know, if you want to use the F word, you need to be thinking about the family member who's going to have the longest lasting relationship. Because all too often, service providers' functional definition of family is the kid or the family member who's got the issue, right? And that kid's parents, if we're really honest, it's the family member has the the disability and that person's mother so again if you if you know agencies and service providers want to use 
the F word, the family word, then they need to be thinking about all family members, um, um, including the one who's going to have the longest lasting relationship and make some systemic change with the way they do business to invite brothers and sisters out of the literal and figurative waiting rooms of the service delivery system. So anyway, that, mm-hmm. that's me and my John the Baptist. The, uh, the other mode I'm in is my Johnny Appleseed mode where I, I go around the country and uh, show people on how to start these things. They're called SIB shops. SIB shops are peer support and education programs for school-age brothers and sisters of kids with special special needs. And there are uh, about 350 SIB shops worldwide. There are about, uh, I'd say, about 30 or so in Canada uh, and uh, uh, 250 in the U.S. And, you know, there are in Iceland and Argentina. They're in Ireland, Japan. Um, But SIB shops are our attempt to provide young brothers and sisters with the same kind of common sense peer support that parents get from a good parent-to-parent program are a good parent support group. This ability to benefit from connecting with others who are walking down a similar path is one of the many ways that SIBS experiences parallel parents' experiences. But once again, parents have many more opportunities than brothers and sisters do. Uh, you, you know, Eric, that I... Um, uh, w- w- one of the things that my project does is host um, various uh, fit closed Facebook groups for uh, uh, adult sibs, teen sibs, and sibs in their 20s. But it seems like every day we have an, a, an epiphany from a new member on SibDet, our Facebook group for adult sibs. Uh, and this epiphany is from a, a new member who has found her way onto the list. And, um, uh, y- y- you know, she often has found her way onto the list because she's in her 40s. She has a brother who has autism. Her parents are not getting any younger, and she could use some support. She could use some validation. She could certainly use some information. And she often posts a note after she joins is like, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad I found this group. Um, you know, uh, um, you know, uh, when I read what other people have written, uh, it's like I'm reading pages out of my diary. I've never talked to another sibling about what it's like to have a brother with Down syndrome. And, you know, 40 years is a long time to, 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 to meet your peers, to wait to meet your peers. And we would never make parents wait 40 years to meet their peers. If any of us were to meet a parent of a newly diagnosed kid, What's one of the first things we'd want to do for that parent? We'd want to introduce them to other parents. But for SIBs, historically, that's not been that important. So that's what we're trying to do with SIB shops is give young siblings a chance to meet other brothers and sisters, uh, uh, give them an opportunity to talk about the good parts and maybe not so good parts of having a SIB with special needs and talk about it with other kids who get it, learn something about the services their brothers and sisters are getting, and, uh, and, and, and talk about you know how other SIBs handle sticky situations that SIBs sometimes find themselves in. And, but because they are for kids, not adults, we also want SIB shops to be fun. And 
SIB shops are decidedly fun to come to. They mix content activities, discussion activities, and informational activities with lots and lots and lots of recreational activities. Uh, we tell I, when I train people on how to start SIB shops. Um, uh, you know, I let them know that uh, you know they're you know we want these to be a celebration of the many contributions made by brothers and sisters. Uh, they very much take a wellness approach, um, uh, and and again they mix content activities with lots and lots of recreational activities. We don't want them to be perceived as being the programmatic equivalent of, you know, Brussels sprouts, you know, here, kid, take this, it's good for you, or be perceived from the kid's point of view as, uh, point of view as you know, one more way that my sister's screwing up my life, now I got to come to these stupid things. Uh, right. uh, uh, but it's incumbent upon the people who are running them to make them so rewarding at so many levels uh, that if the kids do come to them, they will be drooling to come back to subsequent ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love that. And there's there's two points that I want to touch sure. on, um, and and then I want to circle back to to sib shops. Um, it's a really interesting point that you make, and uh, as you were talking about when people first joined the adult um, sibnet group. And I, by the way, for our listeners, I'll link to all of the great resources that Don's already mentioned, including the uh, sibling Facebook groups. Um, but it, I reflected on my own experience as a sibling and I really didn't start connecting with other siblings until I was probably 28, 29. That's a long time to wait. <laughs> yeah. So it was interesting just reflecting on my own experience with that, but um, definitely rings true for me. Um, and you were mentioning kind of uh, really uh, why siblings are so uh, important and that sibling relationship being the most important relationship in an individual's li- life that has a, a, a disability um, or a developmental disability. So, and you mentioned also that uh, there really aren't any um, practitioners focused on siblings except for yourself and um, that really you talked about how siblings are underserved i'm just curious do you have any um insights or or thoughts in terms of why you think siblings are so underserved um i just think that they were off most service providers radar screens uh because they hadn't been squeaky wheels you know uh, parents obviously are trying to get services for their kids and so uh, they were uh, uh, letting their themselves and their needs be known. But I think as especially as uh, people with disabilities, uh, you know, routinely outlive their parents. Uh, um, and as we baby boomers age and goodness knows we're aging rapidly, uh, you know, service providers are beginning to realize uh, that there are these brothers and sisters who are out there and they would be wise <laughs> to, to, uh, to, to acknowledge them, uh, if only for the well-being of, you know, people with disabilities. I tell people all the time that if you don't think typically developing brothers and sisters are worthy of everybody's time and attention, don't reach out to them for their sake. Do it for the sake of the family member who has the disability, because you can easily make an argument that if you want to assure a good long-term outcome 
for people with disabilities invest in their brothers and sisters because they are the ones who are going to be there for the long haul. And uh, there is reason to believe that intervening with siblings, even young siblings, uh, seems to have a benefit that benefits everyone, not only the typically developing sib, but also the brothers and sisters who have, have disabilities themselves. Right, right. Yeah, so I... I completely agree with you, and um, I see I can foresee this massive wave of siblings coming into higher responsibility roles with their brother or sister that has a disability because of the aging population and improvements of healthcare. You know, people are living longer, um, so are especially you know people with disabilities with with new treatments and, and whatnot that, that are out there. So um, as a service provider, if I recognize this and I think, okay, this is a good long-term investment to start to um, invest some of my, my resources into siblings, how do, how do I do that? Or uh, do you have any thoughts on uh, an, an organization that that agrees with you, okay, yes, this is a good long-term investment, now what? Well, I think, first of all, they need to, uh, you know, w- well, there are a number of things they could do to acknowledge brothers and sisters. They can uh, create initiatives that specifically reach out to to, to brothers and sisters, uh, um, such as the Ark of the United States now has a, you know, a sibling um, interest group. Uh, they can change their policy to explicitly name brothers and sisters. When I worked with fathers, I said, you know, if you really want to get dads involved, you can't say the word parent. You have to use the word mothers and fathers because all too often the word parent gets read mothers. So if you're really interested in dads, you need to, to, to you know, sp- explicitly invite them. And I think the same thing is true with brothers and sisters. You have to be, you know, you have to personally invite them and perhaps hold board seats that are available just for brothers and sisters. You also need to provide them information that they think is important. Um, You know, one of the, you know, um, one of the things I'm forever you know, talking about is that brothers and sisters have a lifelong and ever-changing need for information. It's one of the many ways that SIBS experiences parallel parents' experiences. But let's think about how do parents get information about their child's disability and its treatment? Well, they get it from other parents. They get it from doctors. They get it from therapists. They get it from national organizations. Um, you know, they get it from websites. How do siblings get information? Well, if they're lucky, they get it from their parents. So uh, I think, uh, you know, service providers need to make themselves available to brothers and sisters. Uh, um, uh, And I think organizations, national organizations that, um, you know, represent, say, a specific disability, they need to prepare educational materials that are specifically for brothers and sisters, and especially young brothers and brothers and sisters. And I, I tell people all the time, I said, if if you belong to an organization that represents people with disabilities, the kind of disability your child has, go to their website and take a look 
at what, if anything, that they have prepared on that disability for young readers. And if they don't have anything, you need to ask them why the hell not. Uh, I mean, think of all the people that it would benefit, not only all those typically developing brothers and sisters, but other kids in the community and classmates as well. So a lot of good information would be helpful for SIBs across the lifespan. You know, I mean, little kids, preschoolers need information, senior citizens need information, and everybody in between, teens, sibs in their 20s, you know, as they're thinking about what to do with the rest of their life, uh, adult sibs, you, you know, I mean, they're, uh, you, you know, Eric, I don't know whether you're at this point in your life, but, you know, there, there are many sibs who, as adults, who are way beyond the sandwich generation. Yeah, they're, they're, they're looking after aging parents and um, they're raising kids, but, you know, they, they talk about being in the club sandwich generation because not only are they looking after aging parents and raising kids, but, oh, yeah, they have a brother who has Down syndrome and maybe be getting signs of dementia. You know, that's a really full plate. And these folks need all the support and all the information we can possibly give them. Right, right. Yeah, uh, those are some great, uh, a great starting place for organizations to start to think about uh, siblings. And I, I really like your first, uh, well, I love your first point about um, including the language brothers and sisters or yeah. siblings, right? And just start to talk about it. Yeah. Include it in your marketing material yeah. if you're having an event, right? Exactly. So that they know that, that they're invited right. and they feel invited. Um, very like just super practical for organizations, and they so, and they can have sibling events that are just uh, you know events just for their brothers and sisters, and uh, uh, events at which you know these adult, for instance, if it's for adult sibs, where these these adult sibs can go and not only get information about the services their brothers and sisters may be getting, but also talk about some of their concerns regarding their own parents. Uh, and, uh, and, and ways to communicate to their parents about, you know, their role in their brothers and sisters future. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That perfect suggestion. Um, let's switch back to switch gears back to sib shops for a minute. Um, I'm not sure if you mentioned it when you were uh, talking about what sib shops are, but how long have they existed? How long have you been teaching people um, how to facilitate SIB shops? SIB shops got their start in 1982, also uh, uh, at the University of Washington. And I've been training people on how to do SIB shops since 1990. Uh, And if a local agency wants to have a SIB shop in their community, they need to sign off on the SIB shop standards of practice, which you can find on our website. And the standards um, assure that when parents send their kids to something that calls itself a SIB shop, they're sending them to something that reflects the goals and values of the SIB shop model. And if you take a look at the standards, you can see that that's mostly what the standards are. Just make sure that everybody's sitting off the same page. However, some of the some of the standards describe the hoops that agencies must hop through, and by far the biggest hoop is to satisfy the training uh, standard. And we want people who are 
uh, uh, running SIB shops to be what we consider first-generation SIB shop facilitators, and those are people who have sat in on the two-day training that we've offered. And I did one just this past in the past few months in Alberta, and I've done them, um, you know, throughout Canada, and I do them throughout the U.S. and 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 beyond. So uh, they're they're two-day events where we talk a lot about sibling issues across the lifespan because future SIB shop facilitators need to to be conversant about sibling issues and people are going to be looking at them as somewhat of an authority on this topic. But uh, those um, facilitator trainees also join me as we do a four-hour demonstration sib shop with young brothers and sisters so they get an idea of what a sib shop looks like and what one feels like. Yeah, perfect. So I, I, it's great that there's that level of um, the words that are coming to mind are quality control, yeah. but um, you know to make sure that it's it's a, a good workshop and people are going to get um, follow those principles. So, um, what are the? I guess if you were to give an age range of the target market for a sib shop, what would that be? The classic sib shop age spread is eight to thirteen years. However, having said that, people tweak those age parameters all the time uh, for kids as young as six, and there are even teen sib shops out there. Uh, sometimes when agencies want to do serve a, a, a wider age span. Sometimes one month I'll have it for kids ages six to nine. Next month it's for kids ages, you know, 10 to 13 and, you know, maybe leapfrog uh, throughout the, the program year. And maybe they'll have a teen sib shop on the side. Uh, but yeah, the classic sib shop age spread is eight to 13. Right. Okay. And if my math serves me right, so sib, sib shops have been running for about 35 years. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I know that there's been some research that's been done on sib shops as well yeah. and looked at, at the outcomes. Can you talk to a little bit about what are the outcomes that have been found from from sib shops with the research? That's yeah, yeah. Um, some colleagues at the University of Washington checked in with some uh, folks that who had attended sib shops when they're kids, and amongst the things that they found was over ninety percent of the respondents said that sib shops had a positive effect on the feelings that they had for their brothers and sisters. Uh, sib shops taught coping strategies to over two thirds of the respondents. Ninety-four uh, percent that they said that they would recommend sib shops to others and. Three quarters reported that sib shops affected their adult lives, and that's the one that we really, really liked. Uh, you know, that that goes back to what I was saying earlier about the long-term impact of supporting brothers and sisters and how it benefits everyone, not only the typically developing brothers and sisters, but the sib who has special needs. Because, you know, we contend that if we support and form validate, heck, celebrate brothers and sisters as they grow up, I think we increase the chances that these same sibs will elect to remain lovingly involved in the lives of their brothers and sisters when their parents no longer can. Uh, I think any of us who come into contact with adults with disabilities probably know some adults with disabilities who don't have a very good relationship with their brothers and sisters. And you can't help but think that if those sibs had been attended to a little bit when they were growing up, maybe they'd 
they'd have a different kind of relationship with their brothers and sisters as adults. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in that research, Don, uh, you mentioned, so three quarters of, of respondents said that sib, sib shops impacted their adult lives. Correct. Were there some examples of how their lives were impacted? Oh, just uh, just to be acknowledged. I mean, just to be uh, know that there are, there are other sibs out there and that they could talk and you know when sibs get together you know just to be in the community of people who get it make all the difference in the world you know whether it's an adult sib who can vent in a safe place you know they love their parents they love their brothers and sisters but there's aspects of this that just sometimes drive them nuts and you know and they just need to vent about it in a non-judgmental uh, a forum. And so, you know, where you talk, so that's what you're talking about, maybe the not so good parts, but also the good parts, you know, at sib shops as young kids to be able to, you know, share a unique joys. I mean, for instance, at a sib shop, you'll hear kids say things like, oh man, my sister finally learned how to go to the bathroom by herself. And the other kids will laugh, but it'll be kind of a knowing laugh. They'll, they'll say, yeah, you know, we thought my brother never get out of diapers. My gosh, you know, and, I mean, who else are you going to tell this to, you know? So, so, so to know that you're not alone, you know, you're not alone. And, and that when needed, there are people you can share this stuff with and, and, equally important in, in in connecting with other sibs you, you you know you you put your own stuff into a broader perspective you learn about resources you learn about strategies that other people have used successfully uh, and you're just not doing it alone so i you know i th- you know i think those things specifically make all the difference in the world as to a positive long-term outcome Right, right. Yeah, there's definitely a power in connecting with people that instantly understand where you're coming from. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, So important. So, uh, I mean, you've connected with, I imagine, thousands, probably tens of thousands of siblings (laughs) over the last 35 years, Don. Yeah. Um, So, I'm curious uh, about just your observations on siblings. Is there things that you notice that are unique or are there opportunities that you see that siblings uh, have that, that others might not? Oppor- you, want, you want the opportunities or you want the concerns or you want both? Yeah, both. Okay. Awesome. Well, you, you know, I always need to preface this by saying, you know, you know, disabilities, you know, affect people from all walks of life, right? And all sorts of temperaments. So it's not surprising that, you know, as well, you know, uh, you know, being a sibling of a person with a disability is only one aspect of a person's life. Uh, there's going to be a lot of other things that will influence them to be the kind of people they are. However, if you talk to enough brothers and sisters and you talk to them for a long enough period of time, you start to hear some recurring themes, things that they don't necessarily happen to all brothers and sisters, but happen to enough brothers and sisters that they're somehow noteworthy. And for some of the usual concerns, you know, the, amongst the things that you hear about is uh, with young sibs is feelings perhaps of feeling self-conscious or embarrassment. You know, when you have a brother who has autism and, you know, uh, you know, uh, has some pretty 
interesting behaviors or problematic behaviors or, um, uh, you know, uh, um, those feelings of self-conscious or uh, consciousness are, are pretty uh, big with SIBs in their uh, preteen and early teen years. Uh, there's uh, feelings of guilt. You know, it's hard to talk about sibling relationships uh, where one of the SIB has a disability and not bring up the guilt word. Uh, you know, there's SIBs who might feel responsible for their SIBs disability, something they said they did, they thought somehow caused this to happen. There can be a kind of survivor's guilt. You know, on SIB teen, our, our, um, closed Facebook group for teen sibs. We have uh, kids who are the typically developing twin, the typically developing triplet, the only typically developing uh, a kid in a set of quadruplets. Imagine that. You know, that's a pretty curious situation to find oneself in. And not surprisingly, they might have a bit of survivor's guilt. Uh, sibs can feel guilty about doing things that sibs are seemingly wired to do, and that's get in each other's faces. I mean, siblings squabble all the time, right? Yeah, but you know, when you squabble with a brother with Down syndrome or autism, and then you know, even though you know that's the most common thing for a sib to do, you might feel guilty about it. If you have an older sister, you might, and and you surpass her in ability, you might have that weird feeling when you become your kind of older sister's older sister. You might feel guilty about uh, having uh, opportunities that your sib doesn't have. You might feel guilty about moving away from home and leaving the burden of care with uh, your mom and dad from your perspective. Or you might feel guilty uh, about asserting your own uh, views on what you want to do for the future. I've had a lot of sibs who have told me stories about how uh, their parents, uh, you know, towards the end of their parents' life, they asked them to do things for their brothers and sisters, like take, you know, tell me Johnny will always have a place in your home. And these adult sibs having to tell their parents at the end of their life, I will always support John. I will always, he'll always be an incredibly important part of my life, but I can't have him come live with me. So, you know, you can imagine how guilty those sisters and brothers might feel. Um, there uh, can be resentment <laughs> when the family's um, emotional or financial resources are locked up in that kid with special needs. There could be resentment when the parents have failed to plan for the future. That's a huge one. And I don't know whether you've talked much about this on your podcast, but that that's a huge one for many of the SIBs that I have made. And if I guess if there's one recommendation I could make for the parents who are listening, I would beg them to make plans for the future of your child with special needs and uh, and involve the typically developing SIBs in that plan and let them know that there's a range of ways to remain lovingly involved in the lives of their SIBs and let them know that they have a choice into how involved they wish to be in the lives of their SIBs in the days to come. So future planning is a huge issue, um, as is, um, you know, um, uh, 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 informational needs. Um, 
as far as unique opportunities of which, uh, you know, the longer I work with SIBs, the more convinced I am that they have as many as uh, um, opportunities as they have concerns. And to acknowledge the opportunities is, is not to be Pollyanna about it. It's not to put on the rose colored glasses because quite honestly, a lot of the uh, attributes that you see in SIBs are, are hard won attributes, but they're attributes nonetheless. But they're things like, you know, maturity. Uh, um, uh, one author said that siblings are often well adjusted and characterized by mature, maturity and a responsible attitude that goes beyond their age. And they be, may be more mature because they've had to handle responsibilities that other kids their age haven't even considered. Uh, they may have developed some patience in interacting with their SIBs, and they certainly have made sacrifices in their SIBs' behalf. Now, having said that, you can imagine maturity being on a continuum where a little bit of it's good and a lot of it's not so good. Uh, but those SIBs are the ones for whom, you know, the, the SIBs who are 17 going on 47, they're rare. Uh, the the ones the sibs who are mature, and again, not all sibs are mature, are 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 mature in the way that most of us would like to have for our own kids. Another unique opportunity I think sibs have is insight into the human condition. I don't think anybody can ha have a family member who has a disability and not have an expanded view of the human condition. And that's one of the real joys of running sib shops is that you get to hear. Free, the frequently profound thoughts come out of the mouths of these little sibs where they talk about what does it mean to be a friend? Is a friend somebody who goes around calling people, including your sister, the R word? Uh, and they'll, they'll, talk, they'll, they'll debate as, you know, what does it mean to be a friend? I think young sibs are, are I think sibs of all age are more tolerant than the general population. I think they learn at an early age that there's a lot of different ways to be in this world. I think SIBs are a community for whom, for whom diversity training begins before breakfast 365 days a year. Uh, I think SIBs have a less casual uh, uh, acceptance and a greater appreciation for things that other people take for granted, such as the blessing of good health. And I think they have a greater appreciation for their own families. You know, I think for a lot of kids, you know, they think about their families the way fish think about the water they swim in. They don't. It's just this thing that's there. But when your family is a little bit different than other families on the block, you have greater pause to think about such things. And I know at Sib Shops, you know, a lot of parents and they drop their kids off the sib shop door. These parents are going, oh, my God, what's he going to be saying about us? I think these same parents would be pleasantly surprised to learn at what nice things that these kids say about their parents. They realize it's not been a day at the beach for their their moms and dads. There seems to be a vocational perk. A lot of SIBs gravitate towards helping professions, and they do seem to be the research suggests that Young adult SIBs are more sure of their um, personal and vocational goals than young adults who are not SIBs. Um, I think SIBs have a pride in their brothers and sisters' ability. Uh, they tend to look at them as being a glass half full. They look at them in terms of their abilities, not their disabilities. Uh, there's some marvelous advocacy that you see on the part of SIBs. 
uh, I always think of it being uppercase A and lowercase A advocacy. Uh, the uppercase A advocacy are the uh, SIBs who are uh, assuming leadership positions in disability organizations, um, uh, local, statewide, province-wide, nationally. Uh, but then there's the lowercase a advocacy, the, the really gutsy thing that SIBs, even young SIBs, do to stick up for people who are somehow marginalized. Um, you know, like the five foot two cheerleader telling off the six foot four fullback, you know, that she has had it with the kind of comments that this big lug is making about the kid who is the team's equipment manager who has special needs. And that kid with special needs is not even her brother, but he know the, the, the fullback knows from the look in her eyes that he better not go there. And then also sibs are, can be amazingly loyal. You know, they'll fight with their sibs inside of the family, but outside of the family, you would not want to mess with that brother or sister with special needs. They will come to fisticuffs if needed to defend their brothers and sisters. Yeah, as as you go through uh, all of those points, Don, the concerns and the opportunities, um, I'm rolling off the, you know, putting a check mark beside pretty much every. Okay, let me ask you, you Eric. So so any of those resonate with you, particularly? Yeah, uh, for sure. So. On the opportunity side, the maturity one um, rings a bell, and I think kind of the um, the evidence of that is I can recall back when I was fifteen or sixteen, and my parents were uh, updating their wills, and they were writing in the you know the trustee or you know the yeah. person or the the guardian whatnot and you know my parents were like yeah it's it's eric and the lawyer was like yeah he's 15 or 16 my mom and my parents are like nope yeah we want him to <laughs> to be responsible um so i, I think that one sticks to me uh sticks uh, sticks out to me um i guess the other one in terms of the concerns and you know around uh maybe around uh, the guilt piece of it is, I guess, sometimes uh, the question that's come through my head a couple of times and, and you touched on it is, um, you know, why not me or, or that could have been, yeah. could have been me. Um, and also, you know, the sibling squabbles, right? Uh, my sister and I fought a lot as, as kids and, you know, that's just what siblings do, right? right? So reflect that's life back discipline. on it now, yeah. that's normal, right? So those are a couple that that uh, that really stick out to me. And I guess the other one on the opportunity side is just being able to see my sister um, for for her gifts and abilities and helping other people to to take that lens and to look at um, look at Sarah in, in those ways as well. So, yeah. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about the resources out there for, for siblings. So we talked about SIB, uh, SIB shops, we talked about SIBnet and the different, um, different Facebook groups. And I also wanted to talk about some of the other resources. So mostly or the one that comes to mind, Don, is some of the books that you've either authored or co-authored. So is there any that stick out to your mind as a good starting place for a sibling or someone who wants to learn more about Siblings sure, to, sure. to start. Sure. Well, uh, uh, to plug my own books, uh, the, the Sib Shop curriculum, um, 
you know, is, um, you know, not only has a lot of activities and games and, 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 and a discussion of, you know, what goes on at a SIB shop, but the first few chapters discuss SIB's unique concerns, unique opportunities, and the kind of implications that that has for parents and service providers. Um, our most recent book, uh, which I did with my uh, colleagues at the Sibling Leadership Network here in the States uh, is called the Sibling Survival Guide, and it provides information for those adult sibs who are looking forward to a day where they will be increasingly involved in the lives of their brothers and sisters. Uh, we have other books such as the Sibling Slam book, which was written by teens, fourteen by teen sibs, fourteen sibs. Uh, we have Views from Our Shoes, which is a collection of essays by young sibs. Starts off with a little essay, if you will, by a four-year-old sib and works its way up to an uh, an essay by an eighteen-year-old sib. Uh, we have a collection of essays by uh, um, uh, adult sibs called Thicker Than Water. Um, and then we have another one from the University of Washington Press called uh, Living with a Brother or Sister with Special Needs. So, yeah. Uh, other books by other authors that I like a lot is one is uh, Being the Other One by Kate Strom. She is the director of Siblings Australia. Uh, there's Riding the Bus with My Sister by Rachel Simon, which is uh, a bit of a memoir and uh, made into a uh, was made into a Hallmark Hall of Fame movie um, by that was written by Rachel Simon. There's Special Siblings uh, by Mary McHugh. Uh, if your listeners go to our website, um, they can um, they can see a, a list of books that 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 we like there. Okay, perfect. And what is the website, Don? Uh, www.siblingsupport.org or if they forget that if they just google the word sib shop all one word uh, you can find our project in pretty short order okay perfect so that's how you can uh, learn more about the sibling support project and sib uh -huh. shops and don if someone wanted to reach out to you to connect um, what would be the best way for them to do that they can uh, visit us at www.siblingsupport.org and they can write me at info at siblingsupport.org uh, or they can even call me at 206-297-6368. Okay, fantastic. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast today, Don. Um, you know, awesome information for all different sorts of listeners, families, parents, siblings, uh, people with that might have a disability, uh, service providers, and thank you for the work that you do and really, um, you know, the, the lifelong work that you've done for siblings. So um, from me and from, from all the other siblings out there, thank you very much, Don. Well, I'm a lucky guy to do what I do, and it's my pleasure, and thank you for your interest. Uh, if any of your listeners would like to see a paper uh, that adult sibs help me write and it's called what siblings would like parents and service providers to know they can either get it at our website and per, or perhaps you can make it available for your listeners yeah perfect there's so many resources that we've talked about today um i will link to all of them in the blog that goes with the podcast and that'll be an easy way for for people to get to that sounds good awesome thanks so much for joining today don take care bye-bye a big big thank you guys out to don meyer for joining us on the podcast today. 
I have linked to all the resources that Don mentioned in the podcast to the blog. So go ahead and check those resources out at empoweringability.org. Empoweringability.org. And you'll find all those resources there in the blog with Don. Again, big thank you to Don for doing this work. Very important work for us siblings out there who are really under supported. And it's this growing wave that I can see of siblings that are really coming into bigger uh, responsibility uh, roles in our siblings' lives. And this work that Don has done and is doing is, is so important. So make sure to check those resources out. Uh, this podcast might be one that you listen to twice or three times. Uh, there's probably something different that you're going to get out of it each time. Uh, it, and I'm excited to also bring you the next podcast on siblings. And it's going to be with a couple of siblings that I'm working with in a, a sibling uh, collaborative or coalition. And we are currently doing some discovery and some learning and some research on siblings. And we just did a survey that got uh, an amazing response of over 400 uh, adult siblings that responded to the survey. And we're excited to share some of those learnings with you. Uh, we've also been interviewing uh, siblings for firsthand. And there's some great insights that we have on siblings that uh, that we're going to share. So we're excited about that. And next week on the podcast, we have Dr. Jen Forrestal. And Jen is a naturopathic doctor who has started the Umbrella Project. And the Umbrella Project focuses on school-aged kids and also parents now, uh, and really focuses on building the emotional skills that we need to thrive, that we need to have a, uh, a good level of well-being in our lives and teaches kids those skills. So excited to, to have that chat with, with Jen and we'll get into other things as well, like nutrition and diet and things like uh, topic of gluten and uh, gluten and dairy-free diets for people that have ASD and all those good things uh, and try and answer some of those questions that you might have around that. So excited to bring you that conversation with Dr. Jen next week. And thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. Uh, if you like this episode and you think you know someone that would benefit, please share it with them. Uh, be a part of the change to think differently about disability. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Visit us at empoweringability.org for more podcasts and resources to help you and your loved ones impacted by disability build a full and meaningful life.